I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi there, and welcome to the show. I am so grateful to be here on the first episode of the new year, and I thank you all for showing up and listening. If you're new here, welcome. <laughs> I laugh a little because when you say welcome to the rare disease community, it should also be followed up with that gif of Chrissy Teigen where she's at some award show where she has like this eek sort of smile on her face. It cracks me up. Anyways, I hope that Once Upon a Gene can be a close companion to you along the way and that you can find some comfort, some friendship, and perhaps be inspired to take action. I am so excited for you to meet my vivacious friend who's on the show today. I've been blessed to meet her in person now two times, and she just makes me so happy. We talk a little bit about how we met in our conversation, but yeah, just upon looking at her, she just looks like this sweet, soft-spoken, bright-eyed mom. But the second you start talking to her, you are keenly aware that you're in the presence of someone who is there to get stuff done. I've seen her network. I've seen her ask questions. I've seen her be vulnerable when maybe she wasn't so vulnerable before. I've seen her just dig in and try to understand as much as possible. And she just really impresses me. And I love her so much. And I'm so excited to introduce you to her. She's awesome. And you're definitely going to be seeing her around. Please enjoy my conversation with Pyle Patel. Hello, Pyle. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Effie. It's so nice to be here because I hadn't even heard of you before July. And I actually was given your sticker, Once Upon a Gene, at registration at Global Genes. And I'm like, who is Effie Parks? And why do I need to know her? And they, everybody looked at me like, you need to know Effie because you have to go find her blog. You have to find her podcast and you have to listen to it all. Oh my gosh, that is so sweet. <laughs> I love that day so much. Well, all of those days. But so I met you at the Global Genes Patient Advocacy Summit recently here in San Diego, 2022. And I saw you outside and you had these big, beautiful, bright eyes and you were smiling. And I was like, oh, I think I know her. I'm going to like smile and say hi because we're looking at each other. And so I think I went and introduced myself. And no, we hadn't. We didn't know each other. And then you told me the most amazing story that I need you to tell everyone. Like, how did you get to that summit? Start at the beginning. So uh, quite honestly, my daughter got diagnosed with a rare disease in end of July. And I had just met one other mom with a mutation on the same gene as I in Austin, Texas. And she was like, well, I'm starting our own foundation to go help my son. And you know, there's this 
global advocacy, global genes conference. And I'm like, what is this conference? She's like, I think you you should go if you really want to truly learn about advocacy and maybe start your own foundation, this would be the right thing to do. And I was a little flabbergasted, but I said, maybe because I have the resources, I have help at home, so I could possibly make this happen. And I told my husband about it and my husband was fully supportive and we booked our tickets and um, I just jumped on a plane and as I got there as I was standing in line I was feeling way out of place I literally texted my husband and I said maybe I didn't probably know what I was doing when I came to this conference I don't know what this conference is about I mean sure I had looked at the agenda and you know it seemed great but I did not know a single soul there and I I didn't know how I was going to um, learn and, you know, learn what to do, um, learn the scientific terms. Am I going to be able to put myself out there and uh, network, which is very important. And as I was waiting in line at checkout, I texted my husband and I said, I think I'm going to catch the Uber back and go back to the airport and come home because I don't think I could do this. And he goes, just hang in there for, you know, a day, like just, just go and sit in and listen to people. You know, you never know what comes out of it. And I said, okay, I, I already took the flight here, so I guess I'll try. And I turned around and right in line was Dr. Bruce Bloom. And he was like, you know, let, why, while we're waiting in this long line, why don't we just chat? Tell me more about yourself. And I told him and he introduced me to another patient advocate, um, Jill Hawkins. And and then it just, it was this magical three days of networking, learning, mentors, and meeting you. I was thrusted, you know, with this little... Um, little cool little sticker for my badge. And I'm like, I don't know who Effie Parks is. Everybody seems to know who Effie is. And when I saw you, I'm like smiling because everybody's like, oh, you've got to meet Effie. She's she's a rock star in this world. And I go, okay, but I haven't heard any of her podcasts. So what am I going to go up to her and tell her? But I did anyways. But as you walked over and I was like, I don't know who you are, but I'm told that I'm supposed to know who you are. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love this story so much because I think we can all relate to feeling super out of place somewhere or having imposter syndrome or just being like scared to do something new. And this was so much bigger than that, right? Like of any of those moments. Yes. You're standing in line checking into a hotel and you're really thinking about turning back and leaving and getting back on an airplane. Yeah. I really was. <laughs> and then I'm also thinking, okay, this woman got a diagnosis for her beautiful child in July and she's at the Global Gene Summit in September. How did you do that? Look how courageous you already are, like even just mentally to have done what you did in the in those couple months. And then thank goodness for Bruce for just being a a person like a, a human being and wanting to speak to the person next to him, especially since he could probably identify that they might be there for the conference. And thank you, Jill. I'm sure she's probably the one that passed you my sticker. I had a feeling it was her. But all of these people who recognized something in you and then swooped in to make you feel safe. That's right. I mean, I really honestly, I did not know a single person there. And all I was told when I went into that mentor one-on-one uh, -on -one session was network, network, network. And oh, did I come out with so many um, connections that I still talk, I mean, on a weekly basis with. There's just so many amazing rare disease advocates, including yourself and all these other uh, people I met at Global Genes, which was huge and helping me 
get to the point that I was. I mean, when I got the diagnosis in July, I was not in a good mental headspace. And quite frankly, the idea of doing nothing scared me more than taking the sleep and coming to Global Gene. So at that point, I had not made up my mind on, you know, what I was going to do. But I figured that that was a good starting point is to actually go to this conference and see what others were doing for their rare diseases. And I think it was probably the best decision I made. Mm, I love that. Doing nothing was not an option. Can I ask who your friend was who was starting their own foundation? Were they at the summit also? They were not. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it. It's Jackie Foster. And she also has the same uh, gene mutation as my daughter, Reina. Her son, Harvey, has a missense mutation on our on uh, the DLG4 gene. And she started her foundation and she was looking at it as a NF1 treatment. And I was like, Jackie, you're not in this alone anymore. Here I am. So we are both together together, you know, working together, collaborating together to hopefully, you know, find a treatment for our kids and the entire DLG4 community. It was incredibly hard. I was giving myself pep talks every morning that you could do this, you know, you can go out and network, you can ask these questions. I was probably at my most vulnerable moment uh, when I was in San Diego um, at Global Genes. Well, I think a lot of people can definitely resonate with that being vulnerable and feeling just like a sponge at the same time. I want to paint the picture though of our hotel room because you mentioned you gave yourself a pep talk. So in our hotel rooms, we had by the door, there was like a ceiling to floor length whiteboard that you could write stuff on. And every morning you grabbed a marker and you wrote yourself a pep talk to open that door and go to the summit. That's right. That's exactly right. Because the first day, it was a lot of information. And I was still (laughs) texting my husband every night going, I don't know if I can really do this. And he was like, No, you got this. If there's is if there is anybody, you know, and the first morning I wrote, you know, you can find that courage to do this for Reina. And then the next morning it was day two, this is getting easier. You got this, you know, so (laughs) I was writing a little notes to myself. (laughs) And and putting myself out there. It's hard. There's there were a lot of people there. There were a lot of patient advocacy groups there. There were a lot of foundations that have been doing this for four or five years. And it was inspiring, but at the same time, intimidating. Like, how am I going to raise all this money? How am I going to convince all these researchers and scientists to work on our gene? This is something I ask myself, like, at that moment, like, can I do this? Or should I just, okay, I've learned enough. We can put a full stop in this and, you know, madness, I guess, and be appreciative of what we have and deal with it. And the answer was no, as I kept talking to everybody that everybody was willing to help. Everybody was willing to put me in touch with somebody that could help. So if they're out there doing this for their foundations and for their genes, I should be able to step it up as well. Well, something I want to talk about too with you, since you're so fresh in this journey. So what I hear a lot from families is I don't understand the science. I don't know how to do this. Like they just feel so overwhelmed with the information of understanding it all, right? And figuring out how the research works and figuring out where their gene is and knowing the science. Like, yes, they know their kid and they know all that, which is super important. But a lot of parents don't necessarily feel empowered to learn the science or nobody has went out of their way to help them understand the science. So how did you get those answers? 
Who did you reach out to? Were you reading this all by yourself? Because even then, I don't feel like that necessarily connects to a lot of parents who are home in the trenches taking care of their kids. Like, how did you teach yourself about DLG4? And how did you teach yourself about which directions that you and Jackie are now going to take for, you know, which way you're going to fund research and who you're going to give money to and where you're going to start? Like, how did you get that crash course in such a short amount of time and really kind of have the confidence in what to do next. So I was very grateful. The first, you know, after a month after I got my diagnosis, I put it on my Facebook page and I said, I have, I know this incredible amount of family and friend group that are scientists, that are doctors, that are, you know, literally in this world working on this. And I asked for help. I said, here's, this is what I have received as a diagnosis. She has an ultra rare genetic disorder. Um, And at that time, she was only one of 70 kids. And if you are a scientist or know a scientist, or if you are a doctor, or if you're, you know, know anybody in the genetics world, would you help me? And I got so many people to step up. I mean, I knew one of my closest friends was a scientist at University of Texas at Dallas. And she was like, you need to come and see me, Bile. So Sheena, I appreciate you. And, you know, appreciate you calling me over to your lab and explaining the science and how proteins work. And I appreciate my friend, Abby, who is a genetics counselor, who also sat me down. She literally came over and she started drawing pictures. And she was like, this is what a frame shift means. This is what a nonsense means. This is what missense mutation might mean. And why is it different? So it, it was incredibly helpful because I had people that were very close to me come down and sit down and explain it to me. However, I will say for you know folks that don't have these kind of resources, they don't have scientists for friends or that they don't have genetic counselors for friends is to actually start reading and look up patient foundations because most of these foundations, most of these rare disease organizations have these incredible websites and it explains the science very well in lots of detail and also to attend as many conferences as you possibly can. I knew that that patient the Global Genes Patient Advocacy Summit was going to be a big deal. And I'm glad I stayed and I talked to as many people as I can. But after that, I kept researching and trying to figure out what do I need to do next, you know, to make an informed decision before we decide who to fund and read up on blogs, listen to podcasts. Um, I believe there's a Slack channel out there for rare disease groups. Listen to your podcast, The 12 Commandments uh, by Mike G and Nasha on your podcast is huge, is huge. I mean, everybody should start there because that tells you what you should do if you want to start a foundation and really start asking questions. I mean, a lot of times I know that when you email somebody, you know, emails get lost. And that's why it's important to network, 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 and constantly, you know, follow up in a nice way, you know, saying, I'm I'm trying to understand the science. I don't understand it. Can you help me? And your, you know, your doctor, your genetics counselor is a really good one too. So I probably sent them a three-page email before our first appointment, you know, with all the questions I had about what I knew about the gene, about how to treat it. And clearly there was no treatment option and what I I should be doing to actually find a treatment option. And everybody and 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 oh, oh by the way we also happened i started googling in our area to see if there were any neurologists or any neurogeneticists that were working in other rare diseases because 
if they are, and if they're on boards for other patient foundations, they can lead you in that direction that would make sense for your gene, even, even if you're the very first patient. Dr. Perry works with Syngap kids a lot. He works in the Dravet world a lot. And so when I came in and Reyna was his first, you know, patient, he knew exactly, you know, that I had done my homework and he told me exactly what I should be going and doing. And he agreed to help us out. And which was huge because having a neurologist who has that background in rare disease is very rare. And because he has that background and his and has been on scientific advisory boards for multiple foundations, he knows, you know, where their failures have been. And and that's what I'm trying not to do. Jackie and I are trying to see you know, and talk to as many patient advocacy groups as we can to see if, you know, like learn from their mistakes. You know, I I was on the phone with Bina Shah with Project 8P for an hour yesterday. And she's like, Bile, I am going to not let you make the same mistakes. And I met Bina at Global Genes. She would have never answered my email or sat on the phone with me for an hour had I not gone up to her and just introduced myself and said, hey, I'm really in awe with your success. And my mentor, Hersha, was like, you need to talk to Bina. And, you know, I listened to my mentors at Global Genes. I listened to every single word they said. And you know, I went out there and I introduced myself to all these different leaders. And Mike G was huge as well. And everybody has been nothing but gracious in terms of explaining what they're doing, what they funded, what has worked for them and what not to do, because nobody wants, you know, a new foundation to fail, which is so great about this rare disease world is that it's a small knit, it's incredibly big because there's over 10,000 rare diseases, but it's such a small knit community where everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. Especially the ones that are being collaborative and really have like a motivated patient population. Right. Exactly. I'm not entirely sure that, you know, how we're going to get our patient population engaged yet, but we are going to try. We are going to try 100% and we are going to go fund science and we're going to go fund research and we're going to take it from there. From I had given myself and I've even told the other foundation that I am not going to make a decision on what we do until the beginning of the year. So the six months period from when I got my diagnosis till the end of the year was purely I'm going to research, research, research and make an informed decision because I can't jump into this uh, and make an emotional decision, you know, because I'm probably now going to spin my wheels if I do that. I love that you've always been paying attention. I think that's definitely one of your superpowers, right? Like you, you've kind of had this illuminated idea of where you wanted to go and what you needed to know and how to seek out all of this information. And you've I can tell you're super focused on it and you're not wavering. And I very much appreciate your detective stalker skills <laughs> and you have to have them, right? You, you really that, do. You really do. <laughs> you do. You kind of have to stalk people and you actually live in the same area as like the queen of all of the land and also one of the best stalkers ever, Amber Freed. So that's right. I wonder if you've been able to connect with her yet. Yes. Yes. She's such a great resource. Like they all are, but 
uh, she's like in your back door. And if she, she is. was in my back door, I would be like throwing stuff over her fence. I, I am about to take some flowers over next week to Amber. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, she, but you know, Amber has been great because when I first got on the phone with her, and I mean, there's a lot of folks trying to get hold of Amber Freed, but Amber lives about 20 minutes from me. And I was introduced to Amber from Peter, who was another Syngap board member. And I was just like, Amber, what should I be doing? And she has given me, she's, she got on the phone with me. She's like, all right, I have three of you calling me at the same time about the same questions. I'm just going to put you all on the phone together. And she was great. And she was like, okay, Pyle, tell me what you need and who do you need to connect to? And I'm going to just, you know, email that person for you. And lo and behold, I mean, when Amber sends an email out, <laughs> everybody that you're trying to get hold of just starts responding to you, you know? And so it's, it's, it's really great to have that. So I, the other thing I would say is in your area, find out if there are any rare disease leaders and, and like you said, start stalking them. Say, Hey, I would love to meet for coffee, take them out to lunch, you know, try to understand what they're doing and, you know, the mistakes they've made. People are very honest about that. They don't want you to, I mean, raising money at which falls upon pretty much Every patient advocacy group is no easy task and no one wants to see you waste those precious hard earned fundraising dollars. So they are willing to tell you, you know, okay, this is probably the best place to go get cell lines created. This is probably the best place to go, you know, do your um, drug repurposing screen. I have heard that from so many patient organizations about so many different things. And now we, Jackie and I have decided that before we sign any contracts, we're going to entertain agreements from everybody and see what, what is our best bang for our buck because everybody's being so honest and open about it. But yes, Amber has been a great resource. And so find that patient advocacy leader in your area and become besties with them. Mm -hmm. You got to pick your best friends for sure. Is there like any bullet that you've dodged so far or a lesson that you learned like in the nick of time so far already in getting your foundation going and learning about all the research and raising money? I would say the bullet that I've dodged so far is talk to as many doctors as you possibly can that are working in the rare disease space and see, does that, Jackie and I have already uh, already know that we, we already reached out to Dr. Stephen Gray that our gene is too big, essentially, for, you know, gene editing. So you know, for now, that might not be a door open for us. But gene therapy might not be. And you know, is an ASO even a viable option for your gene? So those are the questions that you have to constantly ask. And I, I believe that talking to more scientists and talking to, you know, surrounding yourself with different people that actually have the knowledge is going to be very helpful. Such good advice. What are you kind of gearing up for right now? Do you feel so much more empowered and do you feel more brave and more like you belong more in all of these rooms now? Do you feel like you have a handle on like your confidence level? Absolutely. I mean, confidence, you know, is is a very tricky thing because one day I'm like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. And the next day when you get this email, you're like, oh, this is so hard. And I don't know if I can do this. It's a roller coaster. <laughs> but I do feel strongly that after talking to multiple doctors and patient advocacy groups and leaders, Mike G, um, Charlene Sun Rigsby with SDXBP1, Melissa Hiko, Amber Freed, Bina Shah, all of these folks, after talking to them and bugging the crap out of them, I 
do believe that I want to go do a drug repurposing screen for our gene. And, and that is something that is small. So the, the confidence level is when I look at all these big groups and go, how am I going to race three or $5 million and do all of it? You know, and that's where the confidence takes a huge hit because that's overwhelming. So I have started, decided to say, let's look at one step at a time and start with just one thing and see where it goes. Because start with the most obvious option, which is a drug repurposing screen. It's probably not going to cost millions of dollars. It's probably an amount that I can raise and it's going to be the most impactful in the short term for everybody that's affected with DLG4. And And once we start getting that ball rolling, then we can start adding other options in. So if I look at a big picture thing, I'm going to shut down and that confidence is going to take a huge hit. So my husband keeps reminding me every day, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. So one day at a time, you could you cannot control the variables in our future. Who knows? You know, you could win the Powerball lottery. I didn't, by the way. It's still not, nobody won it yet. We can, there's still time. <laughs> a lot of rare disease foundations would be funded right away if I did. But, you know, you never know. You may come in contact with certain folks who are moved by a story where other options are not as overwhelming or huge as they seem. So I'm going to do what I think I can do in the next year and then get the ball rolling along with Jackie and then we'll see where it takes us from there. Hmm. That is such a such an important reminder and to just slow it down and to to zoom in and you know take it day by day step by step focus on your drug purposing right now get those quotes get that answer right you know focus on this yeah and that helps take the enormity of the of the weight that one carries especially as a pag leader to kind of get the job done yeah i mean the best advice i got was from Mike G was get your assets created first. That's step one. Get your assets created. And by assets, I meant, do you have cell lines? Do you have animal models? Do you have neurons driven? You know, get your assays created. So if you don't have any of that, none of the options are open and available for you. So I had to ask those questions of the foundation. And when I didn't get an answer of whether those assets were created is where I knew that I had to step up and create my own foundation. And so that's what we're going to do for the next, you know, three to four months. And, you know, creating IPSC cell lines is not easy. They often fail. It takes six to 12 months, depending on who you use. So in the meantime, because, you know, it's this looming worry, like I don't have a researcher yet I dedicated to this gene that is going to move this needle for us, you know, in a timely fashion and going to go do a drug repurposing or create assets specifically for our drug repurposing screen. But if I have these assets created and now we've gotten commitments for actually from multiple researchers that says, okay, yes, we'll look into your gene if you have these assets. So nobody, you can't attract a researcher to your gene without having your assets created. So we're going to focus on small and, you know, six months goals, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Mm, I think that's really smart of you. And I was going to say, I bet a researcher might grab on after they hear this episode with you. You're smart, you're motivated, you're relatable, you're very scrappy, and you're energizing. And I just really love the 
perspective that you've taken from the beginning of all of this. And I'm so glad you and Jackie have each other and that you found all of the right people at exactly the right time and you haven't wasted one moment of it. And also, I really appreciate the fact of the commitment that you made to yourself that you weren't just going to make decisions to make decisions, that you really wanted to build all the scaffolding to that to be 100% in your choices that you make with your money and other people's money and what's best for all these kids. And that takes a lot of integrity and patience. Yeah, it's looming, right? I mean, I know that I have this huge family and this entire village behind me, and they're all willing to give me, you know, large sums of money. But that comes with this responsibility to do the right thing. I want to maximize that, you know, I want to maximize that commitment, you know, and, you know, that they're making towards a better future for not just Reina. I mean, I, Reina is eight years old, quite frankly, you know, uh, one of our doctors was very clear about the fact that by the time you get a treatment option, it might not be, you know, it might be too late for Reina. And, and it, that was, that was harsh to hear that, but I still felt like I needed to do this for our gene, you know, and for the kids to come behind you know, right now. Amen. Amen. Well, Pyle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing (laughs) your journey so far in this short amount of time and how far you've come. I know that it's going to inspire families who are just beginning, but also maybe some who didn't think that they could. And I think you might have sparked something in someone to contribute in some way or to start their foundation or to get involved, whatever it is, that it can be done. And you don't have to be this particular kind of person to make it happen. You just have to want to. That's right. I think anybody that puts their heart and soul into it, however small it is, I think it's possible. It's possible to change the future for all our kids. And thank you, Effie, for having me. I mean, it's a huge honor to be on your show now that I know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're so funny. Well, thank you so much. I'm overjoyed, just like I was the moment I met you. And I'm so glad you're here. And I know that you are loved. And I'm so glad you're getting all the help that you need. So please let me know if there's anything I can do. Thank you, Effie. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. (laughs) 